As we get into the swing of the autumn's property market, there is still an eagerness with buyers to upgrade, downsize, or build their investment portfolio. But with all the hype and excitement of buying, it's not just the purchase price you need to consider. Today, we are going to see what other costs are associated when buying property. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Copyright is Melbourne's one-stop shop for property copy, real estate agents, and the construction industry. We write property for sale, property for rent, market update blogs, staff profiles for all industries, marketing letters, corporate website material, video scripts, even articles for the farming and commercial sectors. If you want to attract the right buyers, renters, and customers to your door, go to realcopyright.com.au to find out more. A multi-award winning buyer's advocate, Pippa Qualified Property Investment Advisor, media commentator, published author, podcaster and president of the National Buyers Association, Kate Bacos is the queen of Melbourne property and is the perfect person to help real estate right listeners understand the cost of buying. Welcome, Kate. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. It's wonderful to join you again. Thanks for coming back on. And this one's a bit more of an interesting topic. Do you remember the last topic? I certainly do. We talked about SMSF. I yeah. don't find that boring at all. <laughs> a little bit dry, perhaps. It's a bit dry, but that's okay. All good. Now, as we are moving along in 2022, how are you finding the market? Well, it's it's been interesting and it's potentially too early to, to tell at yeah. this stage. There's lots of white noise out there yeah. in terms of um, what's going on with interest rates and we've got a pending federal election. I think the fact that we haven't had any talk of tax reform or, or new policies on the agenda that specifically relate to property is a little bit of a breather for us all because if we cast our mind back to 2019, that certainly did sway buyer energy and buyer attention and it, yeah. it made it difficult for people like me. But the marketplace is very vibrant in certain areas. I mean, I had an auction last night 7.30 at night in the middle ring suburbs of, of the west here in Melbourne and there were at least six bidders and they were all quite charged up. The the pricing um, even went past where I thought the stretch price would sit. So mm-hmm. there's definitely pent up energy and what we're seeing is continued buyer demand. Yeah. So I think that the, the pending sales over the, the coming weeks will probably tell a really good story because we do have a fair bit of stock coming on, but not nearly as much as what we had late last year. Yeah. Yes, I think I'm feeling the same thing. Um, I actually went to a property room last week where brand new development, beachside, uh, absolute beachfront, I should say, just finished, you know, so now I've got the certificate of occupancy. People have bought things off the plan. Initially, I was selling them for three to $400,000 more than what they paid for it off the plan. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, insane. Um, okay, that's a happy off the plan story. They don't always go that way. No, well, the, the finished product is just amazing. It was done by Low Living, um, Jack yeah. Merlot designed gardens, um, 
the one that I had to write up it was three bedroom, two bathroom, five car garage apartment. Like oh it's just never heard of kind of thing. Yeah. So mm. um, that's going on the market, I think, next week. So that's exciting. Um, but, yeah, he's selling it because the guy next door got three, four hundred grand more than what he paid for it. So I was like, well, I'm going to sell mine too. Opportunistic selling. Yes, indeed. yes. Well, that particular agent told me that uh, this was the 90th property he had sold for this particular vendor. Wow, okay. Well, the state revenue office will be loving that vendor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, like that's probably over a 20 year period, but you know, what I mean? it's still a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do the maths. No. <laughs> now, so today we're talking about the topic of the cost of buying. And many people forget that buying property is more than just the sale price, but a whole lot of added extras. What other costs can be involved, Kate? Okay, well, there, there are plenty of costs, Sarah, the ones that we all know about, and yeah. they're the legislated fees and duties and, and charges that you're up for, yeah. such as stamp duty and you've got mortgage registration fees. And this stuff is actually not too hard to calculate. We've got some really good portals, namely the State Revenue Office portal, so sro.gov.au, yeah. uh, au. I often tell people to jump onto that. It's a radio button set of um, questions and you can work out whether you've got concessions, whether you're, you're not necessarily eligible to pay the duties or mm-hmm. or whether they're reduced and you can you can see all of that for yourself all date based and and cost based yeah. but there are other costs involved you've got to work out who your paid professionals are yeah and I highly recommend having a conveyance or a solicitor yes you don't have to have one you can try and navigate it yourself but it's an expensive mess if you make a mess of it yeah and you know when we think about the the total expenditure they're a fraction a tiny tiny fraction yeah and a good conveyance or solicitor is worth them weight gold so their their job is to make sure that the ownership is transferred successfully into your name Mm -hmm. but also to give you a heads up on the things that you're not trained to look for and the things that you're not you might not necessarily have at your fingertips to search for so they'll do title searches they'll look at encumbrances on the land they'll be able to tell you things about the property that the agent might not know or might not have told you, such yeah. as whether there's an easement on the block, whether there's, you know, a council or a water authority asset under there, mm-hmm. and whether that could prevent you from doing what you planned to do with that property. Mm-hmm. So there's there are some, some costs to, to factor in, and they're the good costs. You've also got building and pest inspectors. If yes. you're choosing to do that, you need to probably circle something around $600 for a building and pest inspection. Mm. And you need to assume that you might not get lucky first time around. So you might have a couple of building and pest inspections that you need to cover. Yeah. Now, the cost of the legals, though, if you if you circle in Victoria, I mean, every state differs a little bit with how they go about things, but you've got the contract review, you've got the settlement and the conveyancing process itself. You've also got ordering of certificates they're called disbursements, so the on costs that, that the solicitor or conveyancer sustain, yeah. all up for legals. You should be circling somewhere around fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars. And if it's a tricky file or if it's off the plan and it's you know centimeters thick, it might go into the two thousands. And if it's an SMSF and it involves all kinds of other checks and balances, then it will be higher again. But they're the sorts of costs that you're up for. Yeah when you're embarking on this journey. And if you've got a buyer's agent, well, then clearly you'll need to factor in their costs as yeah. well. But then also if the buyer's agent's worth their weight in gold, like yourself, um, they'll get the property for cheaper. 
So hopefully they will. It's um it's a really good one. We we have this question come up all the time. Yeah. I would rather pay full asking price, even yeah. with a little bit of a competitive stretch for an A grade property, yeah, than save a client fifty thousand dollars on a C grade property every yeah. day of the week. Yeah. So a good buyer's agent won't sell themselves and get the job by telling a consumer that they'll buy a great property at a discounted price in a hot market. What they will do is make it really clear to the client what they'll steer them away from so that they don't make mistakes and lose money down the track. Yeah. It's the big picture, isn't it? You've mm. got to consider, yeah. How about things like um, changing, like mortgage changing fees? Like sometimes banks may add an extra cost for, for you know, keeping the same mortgage but it belongs to a new property. Yes. So yeah. that's um, that's an interesting one. So that that is when you've you've got the loan in place yeah. and they do what we call a security swap or they um, it's a portable loan. Mm. So it stays with the same lender. Yeah. They, they have to make sure that, that they're clear on the valuation of the new property versus the old property and they're looking at the debt that you're carrying. Yeah. And, of course, loan-to-value ratio plays a part there because if you're thrust into um, mortgage insurance territory, so in other words, if you buy a more expensive property, yeah. Um, you'll you'll have some challenges there. So if if the loan balance isn't changing, then there will be some fees associated with um, new valuations and the administration costs. But in a lot of cases, when people buy a property, you do find that they completely refinance and go to another lender. Yeah. And so you've got switching costs there yeah, as well. Um, yeah. But by by far and away, the most expensive costs associated with with loans are usually down to two things. The first is if you're going into mortgage insurance territory and it's a sliding scale depending on the percentage, Yeah, you'll sustain some really significant mortgage insurance costs. And, and as you know, mortgage insurance doesn't favour the buyer, it favours the bank. Yes. But it's a cost they can't escape. And most times it can be capitalised, but sometimes it can't. So you, you find yourself either financing or coming up with tens of thousands of dollars if you're buying aggressively. Yeah. And the other significant lender cost, if you um, fall prey to this, is if you've got a fixed rate loan and then you're looking at breaking that before the fixed term has expired, you've got what we call an economic break cost, which means that you're unravelling the deal that the bank did with you at the time when they said you've got this loan rate for three years or five years and here's the deal. Yeah. You're unravelling that. And they've got to recalculate the cost of unravelling that. And if interest rates have changed, then that's when you can sustain some really hefty penalties. It's, mm-hmm. it's a case of getting out of that and making sure that you're not disadvantaging the bank with the deal that you signed up for. Yeah. So they're the two biggies. Yeah. If you've got a fixed rate line and you're looking at tipping that line upside down, you've really got to think twice about that. Mm. Now, what happens if this, you can't quite coordinate the settlements and you end up with bridging finance? Mm, ouch. Yeah, bridging is scary in its own right because it's expensive. Yeah. But the other problem with bridging is it's much harder to get. So you don't want to find yourself assuming that you're eligible for bridging finance when you're not. Yeah. Because if the bank says no, it means you can't finance your purchase. Mm. And we'll we'll talk about that further on in the show. What yeah. happens when you, you can't finance it? Yeah. It's it's the worst nightmare out there. Yeah. Been there, done that. Know what that's all about, um, but also on the smaller scale, you've also got things like moving fees, setting up utilities, and even the pet sitting, like for open for inspections slash, you know, the moving. Though all those little things need to be factored in, don't they? Yeah, they do. And 
there's there's all kinds of costs associated with withholding costs when you're buying something that needs a little bit of work or renovating as well. Yeah. Most people that purchase an established property, if it doesn't need a renovation or if they've decided that it's right for them right now, they'll still want to clean it yeah. and get it ready for themselves and they'll most likely want to ease into it. So sometimes they're overlapping. They might be um, entertaining a licence agreement where they are able to rent for a week before they have to move in and settle. Mm. And other times they'll be dealing with temporary accommodation or, like you said, bridging finance and they're still in their old house. So you've got to calculate the cost of your accommodation before you've actually moved cleanly into your house. Mm. Then, of course, you've got your little cleanups. You might decide to do some repainting or lay some new flooring and carpet. So they're the things that you have to weigh up. Mm. And, of course, you're renting, pet sitting, um, the cost of removalists. Yeah. You've, you've definitely got to do your sums and add all of that up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, because they're not, well, they're not cheap. And if you do it the full service, that's that's even another level again, isn't it? I'm always packing yeah. boxes. I like to know what I'm packing and taking to the next place and what I'm throwing out before. That's what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the best way to cull, isn't it? It is the best Move way to out. cull. Yeah. Now, as a percentage of the purchase price, how much would you expect um, extra? you should be factoring into the price of buying the property? That's a great question. I would circle 7% so that you've got a little bit of buffer room. It yeah. really does depend on how organised you are, yeah. whether there's whether it's a first property and you're moving out of home. Yeah. You haven't you, Clearly you don't have to worry about rental and excessive removalist costs, but then you've yeah. probably got new furnishings as well. Yeah. 7% is not a bad rule of thumb if you're looking at, Stamp duty. If you're buying a, a million dollar property, you're probably looking at fifty six thousand in stamp duty ish. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Um. So you're looking at seventy thousand dollars. Yeah. At least in costs. Yeah. yeah. So if you've is... got that there, you should have a little bit of buffer room. But you also want to allow yourself some some buffer in case there are things that need fixing. There's nothing yeah. worse than moving in and you've got a hot water service that doesn't work or you've got a, a water leak you didn't know about or whatever it might be. Yeah. But these things can happen. And if you've got the buffer money there, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, what other things could buying cost you? Like when I wrote that question, I was thinking sleep, time away from work, and you'll oh, leave. The non-financial, non-tangible stuff. Yeah, but yeah. they do cost. They do. You know, it takes a, a bit of a human toll on you if you've been yeah. out there shopping and you've been missing out. I, I see the the heftiest of the emotions with people that come to me after they've just been really knocked about by a fast-moving market. And mm. it's hard. And not it's not only disappointment with missing out, it's it's the decision-making that goes with it. All of the, the key people that are involved in the decision-making and breathing down your neck and giving you their 10 cents worth, balancing all of that and if you're in a partnership and you're buying with a partner, that's difficult too because you both have different must-haves and nice-to-haves. So you've yeah. got to get on the same page. Yeah. It can sometimes cause a bit of upheaval with yeah. couples if they're not agreeing. So you've, you've got to make sure that it doesn't get upsetting and personal. You've got to keep it, um, you know, really pragmatic and sensitive and sensible. Yeah. So things like lost sleep, lost Saturdays. Mm. You've only got so much bandwidth for internet searching. How many hours a day you're spending on a search engine and then the the exhaustion dealing with offers with agents you've got pre-approval to continue um, keeping up to date you've got to gather all of your financials you've got to make sure that 
from a fiscal point of view, you're doing everything you can to make sure that your your bank statements look great to a lender. Yes. You're yeah. always cognizant yeah. of changing policy and tightening buffer rates. It's, it, it, but it's things like I was talking to a, a stylist yesterday and she was sort of saying it's things like, you know, not being on that betting account for six months because you've yeah. got to keep that pre-approval um you know, thing going like, yeah. and that pre-approval line lasts for three months, doesn't it? So if you're on that tender edge of the um, that that three months, and you still haven't purchased something, yeah. you go through the process again, and that's the stress. Absolutely, of that. unbelievable. And the assessors are looking for anything that doesn't necessarily signal bad behaviour. It can just signal, you know, um, YOLO behaviour. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got if you've got a YOLO approach, you only live once and you're going to Vegas or you're going out partying on Saturday night. So you're buying expensive clothes or being generous with your gift yeah. giving, all that stuff comes up. And yeah. it, it's a bit of a worry. I've, I've seen assessments where they've been hard on people for too many um, television subscriptions or gym memberships, mm. all this stuff that, you know, comes out of your account. And it, it can really bog you down if you're constantly worrying about staying in favour with the banks. Mm. I had of one where they'd had a night at Crown just to have a nice little staycation. Crown came up with a credit card statement and said, oh, you've got a gambling habit, have you? And it's like, no, we just had a weekend at Crown. Yeah, hot tip, never go to an ATM at a casino, even if you're pulling out money to pay cash for dinner. It just You've got to imagine yeah. what's, what's the worst that this could look on my statement. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, it's it's Big Brother, isn't it, a little bit? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and at the moment, you know, that's their prerogative. And unfortunately, when you need money, banks hold all the power. Mm. Now, how can a buyer's advocate make this more streamlined for you? Well, first up, we know what the process is inside out. We know every single step. We understand yeah. the emotions that people have to travel. And we know where people can get bogged down emotionally. So without looking at, at the deal and the property and the plan itself, we've got to make sure that we have our clients feeling comfortable and, and doing all of the right things and the right steps and getting along with each other and being able to navigate decision-making so that you've got a really clear strategy. Once you've got a clear and feasible strategy, you know, feasible means you could go out there looking at what you're looking for and you've got the right budget and there's a reasonable abundance of properties that give you choice it means that you'll buy reasonably quickly. You know, three weeks to three months, that's that's a well-planned, well-executed purchase timeframe and it's doable. Yeah. So if you can get your clients to that sort of position, they're already thinking about the right property and the right price tag and the right location for them. We've got a firm plan. They're not fighting about it and they're probably yeah. going to have good good success almost instantly. When they get out there, they'll say that things are, are certainly within their grasp. And then the next way that buyers agents help is we know what to look for and where to look for it, what questions to ask when the right property comes up and what things to look for that can determine it's not a keeper, it's not a property to go for. And, you know, I talk about the John West principle. It's the fish that John West selects and, well, that John West rejects that makes John West the best. It's a really nice way to think about property. I do throw out a lot of fish. And sometimes the fish look good and it's not until you look really carefully at the encumbrances on the land or you know enough about the area or planning schemes to say this this one isn't going to go well. It, it's a zoning that, that won't work for their finance, for example. Mm. So if it's, if it's an industrial zone, even though there's a 
a residential property sitting on it. It looks residential, it feels residential, but the bank won't look at it as residential. Now, an industrial or a commercial zone means that you might be up for commercial line rates and commercial line terms, and they're very, very different to residential. And most people who qualify, let's say you qualify for an $800,000 resi loan, if it's commercial property, it won't be eight hundred because your repayments will be higher because the interest rates are higher and it's amortised over a shorter period. So the bank will say, yeah, your, your cash flow is good for X dollars a month. And so from a, from a lending point of view on a commercial loan, you're only able to borrow maybe $450,000. So all of a sudden the house that you've just bought at auction for eight hundred dollars in the industrial zone, you can't finance, you haven't got a 40% deposit. So they're the red flags that we look for. You don't want anyone to discover that themselves after the event. You want to nail it before the event. So a a buyer's agent will try and save you a bit of energy, certainly um, upset, and they'll try and guide you towards properties that will not only deliver what you're looking for, but they'll outperform. So Mm. when it comes time to upgrade or sell, you'd like to think that the property the buyer's agent selected for you will do better than mainstream properties. Yeah, and that's what you want, isn't it? It is. That's that's the ideal. And obviously knowing our values and negotiating well or knowing when to say, hey, this isn't a premium price. This is actually a very good price. Nobody wants to miss a property because they thought it was too expensive only to find retrospectively it was absolutely spot on and they could have bought it. Hmm. Yeah, there's always that um, regret at the end, isn't there? Yeah, I think undercoding is really tough for buyers. And you yeah. can, you know, the, the auction that I attended last night was quoted at nine hundred to $990,000. I did yeah. all of the comparable sales. I circled 1.2. I said it could go a bit over 1.2 because it's a crowd-pleasing house, but it's definitely worth 1.2. According to all of the other comparable sales, that's when I'm yeah. cir- circling. It sold for 1.267. Mm. So you were pretty much on the mark. Yeah. It certainly didn't then- sell for 990. <laughs> And the agent we went over two hundred and eighty thousand over the reserve. Yeah, interestingly, reserve was one one. So yeah, it was a very interesting auction. But things like that can really throw buyers because they might look at a one point two assessment and say, "Gosh, that's way too much." The agent said it's nine to nine ninety. So knowing your values certainly prepares you for the price that you should be prepared to pay. So I thought the buyer be prepared to accept an offer in that nine to nine ninety. No, no, but if someone offers a million and fifty and the vendor rejects it, they need to increase the listing price. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, we're going to have a small break and come back with more from Kate Bakos from Kate Bakos Property, where she will talk to us about some other costs that may come into the cost of buying property. Now, you're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm Sue Langada, and I'm talking to the lovely Kate Bakos from Kate Bakos Property about the cost of buying real estate. So, Kate, so what happens if you've got your strategy wrong and decide to sell and repurchase? What type of sunken costs can be involved? Oh, this one makes me sad because mm. you're giving a lot of money to the State Revenue Office unnecessarily, um, yeah. and you're also engaging a real estate agent to to market and sell your property. So they're the two immediate on costs that that are significant. Now, if you've had a fixed rate line, as I said earlier, that is a a bit of an issue as well. But if Mm. you get your strategy wrong and you have to sell, you've got the upheaval of making that decision. 
you've yeah. potentially got a rising market. So you've got to then make a decision, am I buying and selling, trying to pair it at the same time? Am I eligible for bridging finance? Will I sell first, buy second? Or will I mm. buy first on a long settlement, sell second? But the on costs are obviously two sets of stamp duty instead of one and agents selling fees, marketing fees. They might ask you to move out of the property so that they can stage it and present it well. So then you've got four or five weeks of short-term accommodation to mm. think about. And all of the things that go with moving, so removal lists and um, fees associated with storage. Oh, it's just none of it's ideal. So aside from the stress of the realisation and then having to get out there again and search, if you chose a dud property and it underperformed and it it sells for a figure that's disappointing and then the property that you're going for has outperformed during the tenure of your ownership of the first property, Mm -hmm. you'll find that your purchase costs for that higher than what they could have been at the start so you might be having to chip in more money yeah last year I bought myself an investment property and uh yeah the the strategy kind of went wrong a little bit but we got there in the end um we had to go into rescission we did the whole um bought a 45 day settlement but had two weeks of subject to finance and the two weeks of subject to finance went to 50 days wowzers Okay. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And they issued yeah, you a rescission. Right. Yeah. So they gave us an extra week and then another week and then said, okay, you're buying it or not. And we're like, okay, we're, you know, either going to lose our deposit or, and it was such a great little buy. So we thought, not stuff it. Like, and the mortgage lender sort of said, um, look, you'll get the money. It's just a question of when. It's like, will it be when within that 45 days or will it be when after that? So oh, you poor um, we end up going we end up going two weeks after the 45 days. Oh, so wow. settled, settled then. Well, but, that gets your adrenaline yes. going and you can speak experience. And you know what? That's a chapter in your library that you'll never forget and you'll help people yep. avoid that. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. So anyway, couldn't laugh about it now, but. Moral of the story, 45 days. Don't do it. A bit scary. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I think, you know, a short-range settlement, and these days anything under 60 days is a reasonably short-range yeah. settlement because banks are busy. And if you're accounting for public holidays as well, you can wipe that off. And you've just got to think to yourself, if I'm fully credit assessed, pre-approved, the bank's got absolutely everything, be really certain that 45 or 30 is enough. And if it's not, you know, 60 or 90 gives you some, a little bit more room yeah. to grow. Yeah. Yeah, learned that lesson. <laughs> All good. Um, now, if I've overpaid on a property and it actually lost value when I sold it, um, explain some of the costs that can happen here. So, mm. yeah. Ouch. Okay. Well, the first thing is if you've paid too much for a property and you're not planning on selling it yeah, and you sustain a valuation shortfall. Yeah. That means that the bank value at the time that you purchased it doesn't agree with the purchase price you paid. Yeah. So depending on your loan-to-value ratio, Mm. if you've got enough money in savings, if you've got enough capital there or equity, whatever you're using, savings or equity are both capital, if you've got enough there to bolster up your down payment and keep your LVR, your loan-to-value ratio, where you needed it initially, then that's okay. It's not ideal. You're losing a little bit more capital than you planned on, but you'll survive that because the bank won't say, unless it's a dud asset and they don't want it, they won't say we won't finance it. They'll say that 
the LVR we decided on, let's say it's 80%, we'll still give you 80% of the valuation. Yeah. But the valuation's not what you paid, so you need to bridge the difference. If you haven't got that money on hand, though, yeah, that's when you, you need to adjust your loan-to-value ratio. And mm-hmm. it's not always possible to do that. So if you can do it, you pay for it. You're going into mortgage insurance. If you're already at 95 or if you're not eligible for it, you've got a problem. You've got to find that shortfall. It might be gifted money. You might have to take out a, a personal loan. None of it's nice. Yeah. So can I just put some figure ex, you know, examples in there? So, for instance, if I bought a property for $500,000 and the bank said, look, we only think it's worth four fifty. Ouch. Ouch, right? Yeah. So you've put your 10% deposit down at $50,000. Mm. Um, we think you're, you know, if the bank thinks it's uh, $450,000, you yeah. need to essentially come up with that extra $50,000 that's missing mm. and then they are only going to give you, say, 80% without mortgage insurance. Yes. So they're only going to give you 80% of the 450000 which yeah. is... 360. 360. So yeah. you need to come up with 140,000 plus your stamp duties and other costs. That is to right. go ahead to go ahead with that purchase. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's really difficult for a lot of purchasers yeah. because oh, they're, they're finding that money. So you've articulated that really well. The other option they have is to mm. still finance the full 400, but it means that they're going into mortgage insurance. Yeah. So they're capitalising some of that insurance onto their their base debt. Yeah. So and then that, but that might cost you thirty grand or something. It shouldn't at that level, but it's still money that you hadn't planned on financing. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a nasty shuffle. No one likes it. No. There are some options if you're really, really confident that you got your pricing right and the valuer has missed something. You can challenge the bank, and it's Mm. it's a challenging evaluation is never nice and it's never easy if you're very, very clear with your communication. And if the deals that you're looking at have settled, yeah, then they, they will likely have another look at it if they're missing something. It's rare because value was a, a specialised professionals, but every now and then you'll get someone that's not is quite junior or they're not familiar with the area and it, it might go through to someone senior in the valuations team and they'll reassess it. And, yeah. you know, if I've had a shortfall, touch would I haven't had many, but if I had, have, I've challenged them and, only had a couple that haven't haven't been you know that my contesting hasn't been successful Mm. yeah now how about a missed or delayed settlement as I just explained to you my lovely little delayed settlement yeah yeah okay well in Victoria and I'll I'm very Victorian centric that's what I'm yeah we're supposed to this is what the podcast yeah queen centric it is yeah (laughs) Queensland you'll read stuff there they're they're pretty harsh with um with rescissions but in Victoria if you're meant to settle on let's say the 1st of March mm. and 1st of March rolls around and you're not ready mm. you'll most likely sustain penalty interest it's the vendor has the option to charge you penalty interest because it's a, a it's a general condition yeah. in the contract so it's part of the terms and conditions and it's it's their legal right yeah. they might choose not to if they're feeling nice and it's not hurting them financially yeah. but you'll sustain penalties now, if the vendor says, you know what, I've had enough of this, I'm serving you a rescission notice, that's them saying, you're on notice, you've got 14 days to sort this out, or we're keeping your deposit and we're putting the property back on the market. Yeah. And if we can't get the same sales result, we can see the difference. Mm. It's not pretty. Rescission's the last 
last thing you want to see. And I've had situations where clients' finance has blown out and we've had delay after delay. And I've had to make sure that I am new best friends with the selling agent to give them confidence to give us time so that the vendor doesn't serve a rescission. Because once they do, that clock's ticking and it's it's not good at all. Mm. So if, if they serve a rescission and you miss it, you've lost your deposit and you're potentially up for, for financial penalties for losses. So how does that work if they've, for instance, taken your deposit and then say, you know, for instance, you bought something for 500, you put your $50,000 deposit down and they sell it for 450. Okay. Well, there might be some... Well, there might be some small losses. They might, you know, the holding costs, et cetera. But yeah. if they sell it for four thirty, yeah. they're down twenty grand already. Yeah. And then gonna sue you for that possibly. They yeah. can. Yeah. If the market turns, I mean five hundred, you've it's it's serious money, but think about five million. Yeah, I know. Mm. And that's where it hurts really bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. when it gets tricky when it's a big time deal and you're in a an an uncertain market, or if you've paid a premium for something that's really, really important to you, then yeah. it might be a commercial acquisition in a location that you have to have mm-hmm. and you've had competition for it. Yeah. Well, if all of a sudden the competition is no longer there when you when it's resold, that vendor won't get that price. Yeah. Oh, it's not it's not fun, that's all. It's, that's why it's so emotional buying a property, isn't it? Because there's so many things you have to factor in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, at the other end, if you sold your property for less than what you paid for it, could you claim that as a tax loss or only if that's an investment? Yeah. Yeah, it's called a capital loss. Yeah. And you, yes, it's got to be an investment property. You can't claim capital losses on an owner-occupied property. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. No. <laughs> if you're if you're looking at, at carrying a loss, you can carry that for several years you don't have to take it into the next tax year yeah um as opposed to to gains but yeah if if you've sustained a loss well then clearly it's 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 going to hurt you and if you've got the money to sustain that then there's no further ramifications but if you haven't so if you're underwater um compared to what your your loan is Mm. well then you've you've got to square up with the bank and if you Mm. can't the bank can take action Mm. And when you paid your mortgage insurance, that, that's to give the bank some assurance that, that they've got their own insurance in place in the event that they have to sell you up and, you know, they, they see you or take legal action and they're still not able to recover all of the losses. That's when the mortgage insurer steps in and fixes up the bank. Yeah. So, yeah, in some ways it's good to have mortgage insurers for that sort of concern, but... Yeah. Um, do you think there might be more mortgage insurance? Like, you know, there's always that talk about the market dropping down and everyone overpaying. Always that talk. Yeah, I saw an article that someone shared with me that um, it was a beautiful photograph of something out of a out of an old newspaper and it was so old it had sort of yellowed mm-hmm. and there was some stupid article in the 1950s talking about colossal losses and um, oh. market drops. We get it all the time. We've, it's plagued us for years and years. Yeah. There's always, you know, the academic that talks about a 40% downturn. It hasn't happened ever. in Australia. Well, I won't, oh, I won't be as bold as to say ever. I mean, the 1930s were really, really rough periods to, to try and um, navigate and the Great Depression was, was awful and we had a very different approach to that recession and depression than, than what we do now. We, we've seen in the last few downturns we've had 
governments that have really thrown money and um, incentives and, and things to, to really stimulate spending and that has made a big difference. And I'm never going to be as bold as to say we won't have downturns or a significant one. Yeah. But we have a lot of white noise about massive downturns. Yeah. And if you look at, at all of the most recent, so I'd go back over the last 40 years and have a look at all of our downturns, what the trough has been and how long the the trough back to to um, parity has been, yeah. it's been relatively short and not super deep. Yeah. You know, a 12% um market drop is not an impossible drop and it has mm. happened but we've recovered reasonably quickly usually within yeah. a couple of years yeah um i thought that the government put a stop in like the 30s to the 50s of um price uh price changing in housing because obviously you know people come back from the wars and all that sort of stuff and they actually stopped any price like every house had to be built at a certain prices because it was all about the rationing of of the supplies and and you know they'd only put two bedroom houses on big blocks because that was yeah. all they could you know that was the, the rationing essentially we had a lot of a, a lot of incentives um post-war for returning yeah. soldiers and you yeah. see a lot of suburbs that are characterized by those those oh, beautiful definitely. old houses now you've got you know you read clinker bricks and the masonettes and yes two bedroom houses there are some suburbs that you know they're they're now quite special I remember when I started working in Hampton Mm. um, as a young sales cadet and we had some of those post-war homes then and you're right we had a a material shortage for a lot of things and so some of those properties are characterized by little windows because we didn't have an abundance of glass yeah and you're right they, they did certainly roll out a consistent offer for a lot of returning soldiers and yeah. you know it's part of our history it's um, it is. Yeah, still alive and well in some of those suburbs yeah it is definitely yeah now what about the invisible stuff is there any uh, that are <clears throat> yeah there sure is <laughs> yeah there's invisible stuff that only a trained professional would know about and buyers miss what what can we tell yeah them? absolutely so encumbrances is one thing you know what's mm-hmm. what's actually affecting the land and an encumbrance is anything that that affects the land such as an easement a covenant um and a covenant you know controls the use of the land so there might be a, a single dwelling covenant or a setback covenant single dwelling means you can't put a second property on there so if you're planning on buying something it's a big block and you want to do a subdivision mm-hmm. but if it's got a single dwelling covenant on it can't do it if it's got a setback that that's how far the house has to sit back from that's also road. septic and sewerage. You, you can't have all of those things. You can't yeah. have, um, you can't subdivide a property if there is septic because they've got to have so much space to. Well, you've just got to make sure you've got the space and that you've got yeah. the council permission for all of it. And yeah, yeah, services to a property. If you're buying a vacant block and there's no services to the property, it means you've got to uh, arrange to have them taken to the property and that can cost you tens of thousands of dollars for. Yeah water and electricity and, and gas etc so there's some of the invisible things the other ones are things that the banks don't like so for example if you're looking at art deco units and you love them mm. you've got to be really certain that they're strata yeah titles. because not if they're strata or company share mm. you might not be able to to buy them with the deposit that you've got on hand so a lot of lenders will look at, at not going into mortgage insurance territory for stratum or company share and some of them cap it at 60% LVR which means you need a 40% deposit oh, no. so there are a couple of invisibles like I said before zoning 
Mm. You don't want to go into an industrial or commercial zone without knowing it. Yeah. And that can be as benign as buying a brand new residential, um, you know, one bedroom apartment or two bedroom apartment above a shop. Yeah. So if you look at a high rise tower and it looks great, and it's got the cafe underneath, check the zoning. Yeah. Um, other things that, that can be invisible, particularly when you're buying off the plan, is the owner's corporation fees. You don't actually know what they're exactly going to be until the owner's corp is formulated and all of the owners agree on what services are covered by the OC. So you might think that your OC fees are $3,000 a year and you find out they're six or seven, that's a nasty shock. Yeah. So there's, there's a fair amount of um, lack of visibility when it comes to off the plan because there's still things that are you know, subject to decisions that are made outside of the developer's decision-making. Mm. And lastly, the size of the unit or the desirability to the bank. Mm. So if it's less than 50 square metres internally, so that's not counting eaves, it's not counting balconies and it's not counting car space and, and storage, mm. that's inside the walls. If it's less than 50 and your bank has a ruling around that, you might find that you can't borrow it on the LVR that you were hoping to. Yeah. And then if it's something else that the bank doesn't like, for example, uh, someone's been renovating, they've gutted it, they've got it back to frames, it hasn't got a kitchen in it and then they've run out of money, mm. they're selling it really cheap and it's this fantastic old period house that, you know, yeah. your brother-in-law's a builder and they can do it, the bank will risk rate that. They won't necessarily be happy to finance something that is incomplete and doesn't have a kitchen. Yeah, And it, again, if it's super run down and it's borderline livable or if it's had fire or flood damage. Mm. And then the last one is if there's something affecting the postcode and it's on the restricted postcode list with the lender. If it's, I remember when the, the bushfires hit. Postcode. Yeah. So before. For example, King Lake, St Andrews, after the bushfires, they were on restricted postcode lists. A lot of lenders didn't have appetites to go into those locations. Mm. If they're flood locations, if they're oversaturated with high-rise buildings, you might have a postcode restriction for an apartment in you know, somewhere like the Docklands. Yeah. So you've got to check what postcodes are on your, your lender's restricted postcode list. It doesn't mean they won't finance it, but the LVRs might be different. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Kate, for coming on to Real Estate Right. How can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to? Oh, they can find me on my website. I'm yeah. Kate with a C, katebakos.com.au. Yeah. And I too do a podcast alongside Pete Kalizos and Dave Johnson. We do the Property Planner, Buyer and Professor, so we're on iTunes. Yes. Um, and you can just drop me an email, kate at katebakos.com.au. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And we will have all your details on our social media and on our real estate right website. So thanks again. Thanks, Sue. It's been a wonderful pleasure and I always love catching up with you. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Now, next week we have our first case study on real estate right. Every few episodes we are looking at the personal side of real estate where we get real life people to tell us their stories. So next week we have our new copywriter, Tom Hawks, to talk to us about his journey in renting his first apartment. It's a great listen for those who want to take their first plunge into moving out of home and build their own sense sense of independence so don't miss it real estate right it's produced by real copyright one of melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies and it's written hosted and produced by me sue langada 
with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Right.